0: An Englishman in San Diego at MCM London Comic Con
1: 2018. going?
0: It was quite entertaining actually. Yesterday we had a panel with uh, Tess Fowler, who was getting into how she was uh, getting introduced to Crystal Role how it's almost like a transformative thing for them, and how so like, it filled the heart and it almost turned into a religious thing for them. And well, the, the good Game of Thrones music was going off as so well. Like You're expect expecting them to be stood up on their seats and just kind of really getting into really it. No, she does artwork right. oh, and in
1: oh, Critical Oh,
0: She watches it, obviously, on a regular basis she's like... It almost felt like there was this fanfare going off. Uh, so uh, we may be having that at some point through this talk, uh, so, um, it, we'll have to see how well it kind of queues up with well, what Chris Horne yeah, well, um Yeah, so it's when we start talking about um, X-Men Editorial and that music kicks off and you think, no, uh, that's, that's not matching at all. That does not work. So welcome on to the uh, Comic Stage here at MCM. Thank you very much indeed for coming out on a Sunday afternoon and uh, joining us here. And my name's Leonard, I'm uh, the that's host awesome. here at uh, MCM for this stage. And we are joined by, I think it's safe oh, it to is say, a um, the fide legend of the comics. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, can you please welcome to the stage, Mr. Chris Cummings. Right, uh, But I'm not dead yet! <laughs> no, 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 uh, this isn't a uh, lifetime kind of panel, We're, there's still continuing work and we are going to get into that uh, in a bit. Uh, but um, first and foremost, I think we'll just uh, go all the way back a little bit uh, in terms of uh, welcome back to London, sir. As a, a, as a London lad, as it were, for uh, a couple of years at least. Well, West London, I don't know if that counts. <laughs> be. Okay. And um, so, four years here in the UK, and then your parents emigrated uh, to the States, I believe, Was it at
1: age four? It was a while. Okay. It was a while ago, I know, it's going to be
0: all okay. to remember all the way back
1: Sorry, the OSE applies here, right? Sorry? The OSE, the initial secret act um, we, we, um,
0: if we see a red dot floating around the stage and uh, zeroing in on either you
1: or I... No, what it came down to was... I know it's hard to realise it, but how should we say it? Cuisine was limited after the war. And my mother spent about ten years working with homeless, abandoned kids in East London, and she basically burned out. And my father got a fellowship in the United States, and my uncle lived in Chicago, and they had steak. And to show you what that meant was, we came over to the... here, and we were in the southeast, and we walked into a restaurant in. Floral, I believe, and they had a five-pound sirloin on the wall. So we're talking two and a half kilos. You eat the whole thing, you get it free. You leave anything, you have to pay full price. My mum looks. My mum, by you, five foot tall, looks up at me and says, "Okay, I'll take it." Are you sure, little lady? <laughs> I'm not kidding. Oh yes, please. 48 minutes later, she asked for seconds. 49 minutes later, they asked her to leave. She was great. I mean... One, she liked steak. Two, she was in the wrath. Three, you never let a deal pass like that. And, you know, that's that's basically... Don't mess with the Londoner mate. You know we're small but we're we're feisty. Uh, But little did we know my father had applied for US citizenship. Something to do with his mother. We won't go with that. (laughs) As I put it I was kidnapped by pirates (laughs) and uh, that was that. Because when you're
0: your formative um, school years, and I know that you started um, studying uh, political science, oh, was it political analyst? What's the. Political theory. Political theory. But also um, then yeah. the artwork in there uh, as well. But how well, much then did the. Uh, how much was influence then from your parents and that kind of the upbringing that you had? Uh, how, how creative were your parents? Where did, did that come from?
1: So the day he died, my grandfather would address me every time we got together, Christopher, when will you get a substantial job? I don't know. I'm only earning 16 years. I no, mean,
0: no, when will you get a real
1: job? When well, I have to. No, actually... So when did my parents really have a creative side come Where did that come from? My family are all lawyers and doctors. I mean, forget about it. Um, but my grandmother sent me a subscription to Eagle. So I grew up reading down there from the very beginning and thinking, this is something brilliant. I mean, Frank Whiteley's art, Frank Bellamy's art. Oh. One of the biggest frustrations when I was actually at Marvel was we were, we were trying desperately to lure Frank across the pond. We'd even try to pay him real money, which you didn't do in those days. Just for the thought of him drawing the X-Men, much less the FF, and then he passed, which was like, ah, you know, damn it. But, I, you know, by the time I got to middle school, well, uh, the end of, I guess, what we would call high school, I wasn't reading comics anymore, that was like, for kids' stuff. And then I discovered, I was walking home from school one day, and I read Fantastic Four number 48 with uh, the FF versus the Watcher, and then the Silver Surfer, and then Galactus, and I thought, this is brilliant. And that was that, I was hooked. And then the Fantastic Four led to Thor, and Thor led to the Avengers, and the Avengers, surprisingly enough, led to
0: X-Men. Okay, I know that uh, before um, the kind of there's superheroes as well. You were also a big student of Mad Magazine as well. That was a uh, big.
1: Uh, <coughs> Not a big student. I magazine. knew. I knew. How my parents were friends with Al Jaffe.
0: All oh, right. I mean, so, so you weren't reading the book before that. <coughs> yeah. Which I.
1: Because I. I When I
0: hear you in interviews, there's that very wicked sense of humour that kind of oh, you Mad find Magazine was that.
1: very cool. It was like you know it's. Back in my youth, <laughs> we would watch this show called TW3. That was the week it was. Which was the funniest thing ever. For one season, damn it. And then ten years later, a Spitting Image. Oh God, what we could do for that now. But see, it, the, I, I, I hit. A trickle of laughter, it's like, just gonna say, how the hell
0: long have we been around for God's sake? That tr- does anyone remember Spitting Image? Anyone,
1: uh, thank goodness. Oh, thank God for that. Yeah, please. <laughs> that got me scared for a well, second. Please <laughs> bring it back. You know, it's like, oh, Michael Palin, yes, he does the travel shows. Yeah. And I'm sitting here going, we're nice at the Round Table. Sorry, we do routines, foolish things, so
0: imitate our cable. Sorry. No, no, any Python references uh, I'm a happy boy if you do that. Well, that's,
1: but that's it. It's like, you know, it's like, yes, John Cleese, he does those adverts, right? Yeah. Okay. Let's go back to when they actually
0: had some bite and bile.
1: And they all went, they all went to bloody sodding Oxford. (laughs) Cambridge, please, Cambridge. But anyway, it's, um, hi, I'm delirious. But the, the point was, uh, yes, I, was, I came into a, a political theorist. My school had a philosophy. They closed for two months from New Year's to 1st of March for what was called field period. You were expected to go out and get a job related to your major field. We weren't stupid. The two coldest months in the winter, they threw us out because they wanted to turn off the heaters and save some money. We weren't a very rich school. Uh, And it wasn't England, so we couldn't actually put on coats and soldier through. So this is, God help me, January of 1969. So I'm I'm English and I go to a leftist anti-war college, and of course the first month of the Nixon administration is the perfect time to go down to Washington and ask for an internship. So that's a non-starter. My second field was acting. So of course the best time to go to New York is January. Sorry, that was a rude remark. And ask for a job, look for a job in theater when everything is closing after the Christmas rush. So the, my third interest was kind of publishing and, oh good, a friend of the family works for Mad Magazine. Perhaps Al could give me a job working at the office. It must be really cool. So Al, unknown to me, calls on my parents and says, There is no way in hell I am getting Chris a job at Mad Magazine. Do you have any idea what we do there? Well, now of course I've read the memoirs and I do know exactly what they did there and I'm really pissed that I didn't get the job. But then again I have no sense of humor, so it would have been totally wasted on me. So Al says, Does he have any interest in comic books? Because I know somebody. And I Sure, what the hell? It sounds interesting. So the next thing I know, my phone, the family phone rings up. Hey there, true believer, this is Stanley! Yes, he does that. That's a, that's say that. a good Stanley impression. And I go, Fuck. <laughs> well, you know, Marvel's a poor company. We're, you know, we can't even afford to pay the people who work for us. Oh, well, I'm sorry, sir. I- I'm doing this for university credit. I'm actually not allowed to ask for for payment. You're hired! (laughs) A philosophy that exists to this day. (laughs) So we call them interns. So I'm there as a gopher, which means go for coffee, go for sandwiches, go for this, go for that, proofread this story, answer this fan mail. Do whatever you have to do to, you you have to understand, the entire Marvel office is incomplete is smaller than the space we're sitting in now. So you come in off the, off the elevator, off the lift. And there's the reception area which is maybe the size of this end of the stage. And there's a couch. It's the only couch in the office. That's where guests get to sit. Then there's like a little table with a couple of things on it and a re- reception window and behind there sat the receptionist and or me, depending on who, who's a lunch and we, you know, sign you in, you walk down this little hall, and on the left is, the, is basically the stat room, and the printing area, where we do copies and, and technical stuff, it's like three guys. And on the right is the editorial room, which are, at the, in those days, was four artists. John Romita Sr., Herb Trimpey, Frank Giacoya, and Marie Severin. In other words, The Murderer's Row of comics. Or The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, or The Magnificent Seven Minus Three, or uh, D'Artagnan and the th- Three and a Half Musketeers. Who would be the leader? Yes. <laughs> uh, Murray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just gonna, I was gonna say, going to say you. film going Yeah. Marie. Because John was too busy being John, and Herb just threw like a SOB, and, and Frank just, you know, was having a great time. And then you got to the end of the hall, and on the left was the editorial department, which was Roy Thomas, the Marvel's business manager, they shared a desk, and then the, the secretary, who at that time was Roy's first wife. The less about happened, the better. And opposite them was a door, the only door in the house, in the, in the office, which, on occasion Stan would take home with him because he could lock. And that was Stan's office. And that was it. Like 12 people. And we did it all. 30, 45
0: books a month. What was the f- kind of first books that you remember working on back then? Or was it pretty much anything and everything that they- It was anything and everything. But first, like
1: the it. first book I remember was Fantastic Four 58. Roy and Neil. Roy Thomas and Neil Adams hitting the ground running. And I was like, And if you live free, fine, don't tell anyone else. If you don't live free, you didn't miss anything. It was wonderful, it was absolutely brilliant. And then I got the fan mail. Who's this cheap Neil Adams? He draws ugly women. Why don't you bring back Werner Roth and draw really beautiful women, like, right? Dude, I'm the teenager, I'm supposed to be on drugs. <laughs> Do you know nothing? The joke is, I'm sitting there and the first confrontation of the X-Men and the Sentinels by Neil and Roy is coming through the office to be pre and sent to the printer. I'm going, shit, this is something brilliant. And then we get to the last issue and Roy is trying to, I have no idea. How, how do we get rid of the Sentinels? They just kick the X-Men's ass. Anybody have an idea? And I'm like, well... The theory is that mutation on Earth is caused by radiation and the source of radiation in the solar system is the sun. So you could argue that the primary source of mutation is the sun and if you wanted to eliminate mutation, you eliminate the sun. Next thing I know, Neil Adams draws a brilliant full page splash of the sentinels disappearing into the sun. You know, the the sun is so big it can't even fit it on the full page, which is Neil's way of being a smartass. And I thought, wow! I just wrote part of the X-Men. Woo-hoo! And I actually got paid for the three pages that I did write, which were for a Sergeant Fury retrospective. Nazis I have known and killed. Women I have known and loved. I got paid twenty bucks each. Huh? That was cool, you know. And, and stand to his to his tr- credit. Even though I wasn't allowed to be paid anything, since I was coming in, I was commuting from out on Long Island, which is outside the city. So they gave me 20 bucks a week to pay for train fare. So I was actually reimbursed for it. And then the following year, I actually did pay attention to my major and spent two and a half months on a kibbutz in Israel discovering the truth about the Israeli-Palestinian situation the hard way. Uh, so that's why I got out of political theory, because, bugger this, I'd rather make my own up. Trust me, no, it's it's actually true story. We're driving, we're on this weekend trip, we're going out to the Negev desert, we're going to like see, like, wow, real history. We're driving down this road which is actually about a kilometer from the old border between Israel and and uh, Jordan. And the kibbutz I am at, Natif hey is actually on the border itself except this is after the 68 war, so the border has actually moved about 50 miles to the east. Except that the IDF is still patrolling every day because they're waiting for, they're waiting for terrorists and, and the, the nascent Al-Fatah to come over and say hi. So every night, the kibbutzniks, of which about a significant number of which are survivors of the Shoah, so for those who wonder where the genesis is of all, a lot of the stuff I wrote, imagine movie night on a kibbutz and you're sitting there and the movie of the week is Judgment at Nuremberg. I didn't choose the movie, so I'm not taking rap for it. But in the middle of it, of course, they show documentary footage of the rescues from, um, from the camps. And that was the first time I'd ever experienced the concept of absolute silence. No one said a word. And to say no one said a word does not do it that moment justice. Because you're looking at a fictional film with documentary footage in it, sitting amidst the people for whom that is not documentary footage, that is memory. And. That is a transcendent moment, like it or not. So anyway, back to the silly story. We're, we, we are stopped on the road. And IDF is there. There are tanks, there are armored cars, there are guys with guns. It's like, huh? Well, there's rumors of a Fatah team, hit team, down the road. So we're building up a convoy. So the kibbutzniks basically come back to their two, we're in two Volkswagen buses when they made buses and they come back to ours and they say okay we're gonna drive south whatever happens don't stop why don't worry about it it's nothing important just relax. but whatever whatever we do you keep going and if we stop you firewall is there a problem no problem nothing to worry about we just want to get there quickly okay we cool with that yeah. Great. Goes back to the front car. A friend of mine's in the front car. They take two footlockers out from underneath the seats and start handing out grenades and submachine guns. Uzis and M- M14s. And it's like... Because the idea was if we get stopped, the first car stops and they have a shooting match. And we just go because we're foreigners and we're collateral damage. And they might shoot at us and then the Israelis can shoot them first. So we drive like bandits for 40 minutes down to a lot, absolutely nothing happens, and then we hear about the next day and it's like So I suddenly began to rethink the idea of becoming a political theorist because that didn't seem like a really good job prospect. And so I thought, acting is much more fun. They don't shoot at you with real guns. And next thing I knew, I was working for Marvel. So that's where all of this grows out of, misspent youth.
0: Well, that's going to be the question I was going to ask, certainly with the fourteen years of uh, the X-Men in sales. Because it didn't sell particularly well in those, uh, in those first years. Well, the story the is-
1: The smart-ass line is, I wasn't right. Exactly. That's not true, actually. No, the joke was so Roy and Neil are doing the X-Men, but in those days there was no direct market so no one knew what was going on, including us, and we didn't get the sales figures back. The first issue comes out in January of '69. We didn't get the sales back until October-November. By then, the series had run its course and, and everyone considered the preliminary reports were it wasn't selling, so Neil went back to DC. By the time we got to October and realized it wasn't not selling, it was selling out a roof, everybody had left and there was no way we could get Neil back and they didn't want to try rebooting it without Neil, so they put it on hold for five years. And by the time they rebooted it with Len Wein and Dave Cockrum and Stan's experiment that we would try and do it with a foreign cast so we could try and make some sales overseas. I was actually associate editor sitting outside Len's office so, and poking in and contributing to the plot every chance I got because Dave Cochran was drawing the most brilliant characters ever.
0: Was that the reason why they went for the international, to get the international sales? Yes. Really?
1: Yes. Of course, it took them five years to get around them to them. doing it and then, even then, it wasn't with the X-Men, it was with me and, Dave and and Herb Trippy doing Captain Britain! Yes. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, it is my fault. Live with it. As Stan put it, Claremont. Yes. You're English, right? Yes. You can write Captain Britain. Sure. And Herb's living there. Yes. He'll draw it. I don't know what he's drawing. <laughs> that makes full cool sense well, because from Stan's perspective, there, there were no Marvel writers in England and he wasn't going to send anyone over there. I'd be stupid enough to pay for it, which I did, to go over and see my relatives, hang out at home, and hang out with Herb and pluck Captain Britain, which I did, but our editor was Stan's kid brother. Never work for your publisher's brother when he's a writer and an artist and wants to do the book that you're doing. Especially when you're an arrogant young prick and you know better. Even when you're right, don't argue with the boss's brother. It doesn't end well, really. How? Well, I mean, that was supposed to be a joke line. That's fine. You're talking
0: about, um, yeah, you're talking about uh, your sense of ego then, to come in and uh, write these But How strong an ego did you have back then when you uh, were... How confident were you in your, uh, in your stories? I wouldn't say it
1: was confident, I would say it was too bloody stupid to know any better. No. I mean, Roy basically would come out and say, I've got a script that he's written, writing by tomorrow morning, who wants it? And I got my hand up first. Because if you got your hand up second, you didn't get the gig. The downside was you had, this was half five in the evening, he needed the script, he needed the scripted art turned in by half eight the next morning. The office help him at nine, it had to go out to the letterer by noon. If you hit the deadline, you got a second shot at something. If you didn't hit the deadline, you're out the door. That, I mean, it was a very Manichaean, brutal, uh, apprenticeship, but welcome to Dickens. Uh, and I didn't know any better, so uh, you need the script tomorrow morning. I'll give you the script tomorrow morning. I mean, it's not like I had a life or anything. I was 24. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Most people say,
1: "Dude, you got girls, you got drugs, you go up the big city." No, I write comic books. We have none of these things. <laughs> Why do you <laughs> think we write comic books? For God's sakes! I mean. When you're a writer and an artist, you basically lock yourself in a room for 12 hours a day and write, you know. um, Had you you
0: stockpiled stories at this point or was it a case of no? you you stare at the page and you you hammer through?
1: No, well, in the case of that Daredevil, you didn't have to worry about it, it was already plotted by Jerry Conway and drawn by not Don Perlin. No, God, no. not uh Right? Or did somebody come up with George Tuska's art? And it'll, oh, that's the one, yeah. No, the story existed. All I had to do was put in the dialogue. Okay. But in terms of writing an original story, yeah. I mean, it's... Um, if it's due the next morning, you figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I wrote three... When I was finally writing full-time, I wrote three books a month. You turn him on every week. Uh, the reason I got the X-Men is because Len Wein decided to quit as editor-in-chief and his exit his exit deal was four monthly titles. Len knows exactly what he could do. Four books a month, one a week, every week. The X-Men was the fifth book, even though it was bi-monthly. He could not do even half a book a, week, a month. Um, so, because no one figured it was going to be a success anyway, he was willing to give it up. In retrospect, probably not the best, the most brilliant move. But I wasn't complaining. So I'd been sitting outside his office while he and Dave put this thing together, and he, I'd thrown in my two bits to get rid of Karkoa, so I not only got rid of the Sentinels, and two years later Roy Thomas brought them back based on an idea that I'd sent him in the mail, so I got paid $20 for that. So and got a screen credit which, whoa, nothing so inspires a young writer like getting credit on the title page. Based on an idea by Chris Claremont. Mom! Mom! I sold a story! That's comic books. I sold a story! Okay, what does it mean? Again, yeah, when your when you're uncles and grandfathers and great grandfathers and uncles are all doctors and lawyers, writing comic books doesn't cut a lot of mustard. But, you know, you just do it. It's like, hey, they bought one, they may be stupid enough to buy two. And guess what?
0: I think uh, the reason why I asked, because I mean, I remember an interview with uh, uh, Graham Morrison, he was just talking about how he. Just he wakes up in the morning, has 20 ideas, and then he works on one idea, and he's still got this pile of this pile of ideas that kind of that rolls up. Did you have that? Because you had this run of incredible stories. on Why X-Men. are you speaking past tense? I know, I know. But the thing is, I'm trying to work through the history because at the end of the day, you now have a, a story that is going to be—it's—but you're returning to X-Men. Um, no, no. I, I,
1: I Who said that? It's, no, I'm, I'm not being facetious. It's news to me. So if you know something I don't, please tell me. I thought you were doing the magneto. Yeah, twenty a twenty-page Magneto story. I've done it. It's out. I'm over. I'm, yeah, you me. you are done with X-Men at that point. No, no, I, no, no, no. No,
0: no,
1: no. I was hired for a one-off. A one-off okay. I, I was hired to do a one-off Magneto story, which I did. I'm hired. I'm currently. Well, the, the art. I'm waiting for the last of the art, uh, which. It'll go out to the printer probably Wednesday week for a cable story, which is actually the first solo Magneto story I've ever written and the first solo cable story I've ever written. But because it's apparently well, no one said I couldn't say it, he dies. The assignment, my assignment was I want the editor wanted a 10-page story about cable when cable was a baby. Okay, not a lot of th- inner monologue there. Except, oh wait, that's right, this is Cable, so he remembers everything. Surprise. So it's actually not a bad story, if I do say so myself. But then, the editor calls him and says, Chris, yes? They, you have to understand, I'm talking to editors who... I've too. talked too much. <laughs> Hi, honey, can I call you back? I'm in the middle of a panel. Yeah.
0: <laughs> this is his mother, okay, talk to wondering you. when he's going to get him <laughs> no, no, it's worse. It's my wife. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> she always does that. She calls right in the middle of a panel, and I have to say, I can't talk now. I'm talking to a panel. Except for the occasions when I actually have to talk to her. No, this is serious. I'm sitting, the people in the panel are going, <laughs> <laughs> Real life. That hmm. this never happens to Trump. The boy, it should. <laughs> Any road.
0: Who was I? Yeah, talking about the uh, the cable story. Oh right.
1: So um, I wrote a, I, I wrote a story about cable, where it's the when Scott takes Madeline and, and baby home to meet the parents and the family in Alaska, and guess what, Scott? You have a real family. He has no idea. He he had a real family with grandparents and everything else. It's like, oh my god, oh my god, what do I do? I've married the wrong girl. Have I made a terrible mistake? I'm so guilty. I'm gonna fuck it up. I'm Scott. I'm I'm doomed. And his wife's going, why did I say yes? Why did we spend a year building up to this baby and now he's walking away from me? What's going on here? And and Cable's going, I am so screwed. (laughs) And, of course, because I'm writing the story and I'm pissed off, it has a happy ending where Scott realizes, oh, postpartum depression isn't just for the mom, it's for the dad too because, hey dad, you're in this for life. I know this for truth because, trust me, the first 38 minutes, it's like, look, it's your baby. And my wife's going, What do you mean your baby? Who's doing all the work? (laughs) And I'm going, oh my God, what have I done? And then about an hour later, the kid looks up at you and goes, that, and it's like, oh my my God, God, that's so beautiful. So any of you who are fathers know what I'm talking about. Any of you who are young men, now you know why you're told to behave yourself when you're in mixed company. Because, you know, actions have consequences. And yes, the hardest thing every young husband has to learn is, holy cow, I can't get a refund on this, I've got to be in this forever. And it is both the, it is in true, in true terms, it is the best of times, it is the worst of times, it is a season of joy, it is a season of despair, but it's great. And anyway, so I'm writing the cable story from the perspective from Scott's purpose, uh, pr- perspective at the end of the story, this is the best of times. X Factor 1 doesn't happen ever. Yes, I am still pissed.
0: Well, that's the next question I was going to ask, because you have more right to be um, upset about um, the way that um, the X-Men developed uh, like in, well,
1: in, during... But, see, you have to understand the, realist, the real thing that that I refuse to accept for the longest period of time, which is, this is my paradigm, and forgive me those of you who have heard it before. You've got three concepts. You've got Game of Thunks. You missed your cube, mate. You've got... Ha- no, no, no thing, no thing. You've got Harry Potter, and you've got x You line them up, and basically, to a, one extent or another, One could argue they are on similar levels of reality. They are both the source material for tremendous multimedia presentations. You know, it's only a matter of time before you get Game of Thrones, the the Broadway musical. What's Juan Manuel Miranda doing this week? With one slightly significant difference. No one's going to tell JK Rowling what to do with, with Harry or Hogwarts, or uh, Fantastic Beasts, no one is going to tell George R-Squared what to do with with funks.
0: But unfortunately the copyright on all
1: the X material says Disney, Marvel slash Disney, so they can do what the hell they want. And when one is in one's twenties, and one thinks, what the hell, the comic book industry is going to be dead in five years anyway, Dave and I are just going to have a good time. It's just too much fun. You know, I got a chance to work with Dave Cockrum for, for three years, John Byrne for three years, Dave Cockrum for three more years, Paul Smith, holy cow, wish it had been three years, we'd have owned the world. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it all goes back into the hopper, and 15 years down the line, Grant can come along, uh,
0: well, that was going to be the next question, because I asked you in the X-Men panel on the Friday, and you really—you said you were really excited about the stories that did come out, um, which you weren't writing, and you said, damn, I wish I'd have written them.
1: No, I was excited about Grant's stories because he paid no attention to anything I'd done, which is, as a reader, that's what I want to see. What I hate is people just doing, let's bring back Phoenix. No, let's not. Let's make Scott Phoenix. No, let's not. Let's make... L- hey, I bet you didn't know Scott had another brother. Need trick when your mom's dead. <laughs> Except 30 seconds later I figured out how to do it. But if I can figure it out, why the hell didn't you ask me? It would have been better. But no, I mean, that's the thing. It's like... I have no problem seeing great new stuff I am really pissed when other people write my stuff because, and this is where the quote-unquote arrogance comes in, outside of Joss, and to a certain extent Ron, but that's because I'm at this end, I haven't seen anyone do it better than me. And I'm pissed at Joss because since Buffy was derivative from another character who shall remain nameless even though she becomes the 50th and last president of the United States and probably lives forever and faces through walls and actually saved the day in X3 in the movie. I never got a chance to write Buffy. So it's like if you own the material you have control of the material. If you don't own the material you have no control. But the problem really is, I knew that going in the door, and I still wrote the material, so even though I can gripe about it, it wasn't like any of this is a surprise. It's just, God, I wish I had a TARDIS. So there was no,
0: I mean, those um, stories then, which you feel didn't live up to muster.
1: I mean, did you continue reading X-Men? Oh, no, I never, read, no. no? I don't touch it unless I'm unless I'm actually writing the book.
0: Yeah.
1: Like extreme. I mean, extreme was a lot of fun, but the minute you know, the minute
0: the minute I, I don't Grant mean start slugging people off. No, no, I mean, yeah, no, no, no. But no, extreme
1: was a lot of fun. But the minute Grant went back to D.C., Joe, Joe, thought, Joe Casada thought it was going to die, because who reads Claremont anymore? He's an old fart. Well, we were the second best selling X Book in, ty- in the league behind, X- behind New X Men. <laughs> and we were doing really well with Salva and Igor. So, you know, sorry, yes, I am arrogant, but I have, because for me it's too much fun and the characters are too cool and the audience still likes them. And I figure if I can find a way to get everybody sitting on the edge of their seat and wondering what happens next even after all this time, I'm going to go for it. But, when you say, what do you do with all those other that are just sitting around? Well, funny you should mention that. Because, who the hell said they had to be x I mean, years ago, Frank and Howard Shaken and I, we were all at this convention opposite LaGuardia Airport. And this young man comes in and he's got this Star Trek pitch that is the brilliant, most brilliant thing we would heard at that time, bearing in mind this is like ancient history. He said, I want to tell a story of the Enterprise from the perspective of the grunts down in the engineering, in engineering, basically. The guy's shoveling coal into the warp reactor. And we're sitting there going, that's cool. I, yeah. I mean, if you could come, you know, what's it like to be a red shirt, for real? Well, first of all, I'd get out of the red shirt really quickly because they don't have a great life expectancy, but still. But we're listening to him do this pitch, and it's like, wonderful. And, and Howard turns his, why the hell are you doing it for Star Trek? Change the names, invent your own, and take all the money for yourself. Do it under your own, you know, uh, copyright. And he looked at us as if we were, as if we had committed it. A sacrilege. I said, no, no. It's, I, I don't want to do that. I wanna do Star Trek. And we all looked at it and thought, you're a anchor. But then again, who am I to who am I to disparage him because look where I've been writing for the last forty years and it's like every time I walk away I get pulled back in. You know <laughs> I, when I want mafia. Walking, <laughs> no I thought in 1991 I was done I was I would never come back to Marvel I would never come back to X-Men and six years later Bob Harris calls up and says you wanna be a boss Well, nothing like having kids to suddenly change your perspective instantly I said oh yeah I wanna be a boss and then Ron Perlman took the company public, took the company bankrupt, and the next thing we knew, I could take it over. And all the arguments I had with Joe Casada, where I said, "This makes no sense. Marvel Knights makes no sense. Why don't you have them rewrite it?" Came home to roost as Joe Casada became editor in chief, and I became redundant. Six weeks before my pension vested. God. Timing is all in comics. So that just goes to show, he may write what he thinks are really brilliant stories, but in real life terms, what a a-hole.
0: <laughs> Speaking of timing, I know that we're kind of uh, heading towards what the end What a cheerful note, Ed. No, no, well, that's, that's, so, no, no, no. questions? That's where we're going to go. I am actually going to step off the stage at this point and go a little bit more roving mic. Because I do want to ask uh, if there's anybody who has questions. For Chris, we want to uh, get his mouth in mean, the hands and shut up.
1: Already. And what I love is all the pretentious, it's good. It's good. stupid comments are coming with really great Game of Thrones music. So like, I, yeah, that's what I mean. It's
0: fantastic, isn't it?
1: Well, yeah, that's right. So Nothing I'm like saying a line that is perfect for the blood wedding <laughs> when you're on the receiving end. Oh dear. oh, dear.
0: So we're talking your name. uh I suppose for you might your any questions,
1: And if you joke joking us out, I didn't mean any of it. I'm not related either. So, um, Dennis.
0: As much as I'm a huge fan of your X-Men work, your Fantastic Four
1: was also very
0: good in my opinion.
1: So. Well, the Fantastic Four was the book that got me hooked on Marvel Comics. Uh, s- and the chance to work with Salva was God's gift. So, uh, I feel like it was unfinished um, in terms of your... Oh, rap. totally, because Bob Harris walked in and said, um, I need you to write Uncanny, and I said I don't want to write Uncanny, and he said your management sometimes you have to take one for the team, and besides, you're not writing the FF anymore. That's not fair. Hey, I'm the boss. You're the you're not the boss. You're a boss. So, have you ever considered going back
0: to finishing that story? Because
1: I can have, con- yeah. I'm a, I'm an employee. I can consider a lot of things, but unless whoever is editing the FF, here's a case in point. Sorry, rambling. I walked into the office last year and I said, I was doing a, talking to my class at, at New York University and I had this great idea. What do you think? Spider-Man meets Spider-Gwen. Five-part miniseries. Peter turns around, there's Gwen. Gwen turns around, there's Peter. Oh my God, you're alive. Peter, you're alive. Because in each of their universes, the other's dead. Holy cow, you've got spider powers. Holy cow, you've got spider powers. Mwah! Let's live happily ever after. Hugh the redhead, who's really, really pissed. (laughs) Miss Watson, Miss Watson, perhaps you do not know me. I am a friend of May Parker. I am Otto, Otto Octavius. May I make for you a proposition? And the next time we see her, she's Doc Watt. And she has arms, and she knows how to use them. She wants the she wants the blonde dead and she wants her Peter Parker back. And she'll kill him to get it. And I figured, I'm sorry. Is that not good for a miniseries? And the best answer of all is we have a perfect out of the end because merit because Gwen is from another dimension. And for those of you who remember Ro uh not, 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 Blondie. Not, not Rose, not Eve. Who's the first companion? Well, was Rose. Rose. Right. The, the new era. Rose. The new era, yeah. She's in another dimension. And, you know, Doc couldn't be with her until he got his cloned finger. Oh, hand, sorry. And bingo. I'm, I'm the doctor, but I only have one heart so I can live with you and grow old with you, end of story. So they had a happy ending. Anyway, Peter doesn't have that luxury, so he has to turn her down, because he has to stay and set right Mary Jane. So, bingo! We have an ending, and Mary Jane can be cured of being Doc Watt, but we know this is comics, so we always know she's going to pop back as Doc Watt. So, bingo! You've got a whole new villain. I thought it was great. The editor said, uh, Thank you, Chris. We'll consider that. So that's why when you say you could always go back to the FF, no, you can't. And besides, I wanted to go back, but they gave it to um, what's his face from Spider-Man instead, without even telling me. So I was hurt. And then, but I would. Is it good? now, the new one. <laughs> I haven't seen. I I, I I haven't gotten my bundle yet, so I haven't seen the first issue. So I have no idea. Your name and your question, please, sir. I'll talk faster. Richard Watson from uh, the Source Hall podcast. Oh, my God. Shameless
0: plug. Just want to say thank you for introducing me to comics. uh, And thank you for. um,
1: The rule of thumb is you can't read just one, especially if it's one of mine. (laughs)
0: Um, And also, um, you know, watching uh, uh, X Men animated, uh, a lot of the the stories were from uh,
1: your adaptations. And horrifically, okay. they actually gave us credit for it too. <laughs> Even worse, they paid. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, you already said that you uh, are currently writing uh,
0: Cable and you just in uh, yep. X Men Gold and Magneto. Um, if there was a chance, would, you, would, it, would it be possible for you to come back and write for like, I don't know, another two to ten years?
1: With Marvel again, Oil oh yeah, I I know how I do it. I don't know if they'd accept it, but I know how I do it. I'm also I should also say I'm doing a one pager for the Christmas special, with which is a short story starring Kitty Pride. which I challenge. It's actually not bad if I do say so myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, I take my cue from yes, even though my wife loves Daniel Craig the one and only bomb, never say never again, so yeah, if they made me the right offer, I'd do it, but the fact is, even if I lasted for 10 years, that would be fun. The 11th year, if I left, it would all change again, so the the thing, as she who must be obeyed, quite sensibly has been saying for the last, god help me, 25 years, do your own sobbing work. The one, the one, anyone here read Sovereign 7? Any? ha, that's why we got cancelled. But, even though it was fully integrated into the DC universe, it was a creator owned property. So, when the series came to, that's why it's never been reprinted, even if they wanted to, when it came to its end, the rights, the characters, the concepts all came back to me. So, who knows what could come down the line. That is the way to do it. You do it in a... a Murata was published by Epic, but John Bolton and I own it. The Black Dragon, John Bolton and I own it. The thing is, ownership is key. If I create a concept for Marvel or DC, I want equal participation. When um, we did the Alien Predator, when I did the Alien Predator miniseries, which is the first time the Alien and the Predator were heroes, my my argument with them was the Alien's owned by one studio, the Predator's owned by another studio, my character, the human being, is going to be my character. And Dark Horse, because they're an honorable company, bought it and accepted it. And so I own the character and I can do with it and I'm in the process of doing with it what I want. So, even though I make jokes, even though I have have fun as a work-for-hire writer, if I were the doctor and were 2,000 years old, I would have perhaps a different perspective, but for me, writing my own stuff is like coming back as the current doctor. It's a totally different perspective, a totally different re-energization of the work, and hopefully the writer, and let's see what the heck happens next, and hope I can bring you to the edge of your seat with excitement and enthusiasm, with that stuff as I do with the with the X-Men, and let the X-Men live happily ever after with whatever young punk equivalent of of Joss or or Grant is sitting in the wings waiting to take their shot and re-energize the concept in a way that totally would blindsides me, and fulfills you, and gives Marvel another 50 years of cool movies to make.
0: (laughs) That, I think, is a great way to finish, because it sounds like there's still more to come from this man, and I think we're all looking forward to reading it. Ladies and gentlemen, you please make some noise and say thank you to Chris Claremont, everybody.
1: And if you have any further questions, come on by the table. I'll be here. I'll be here all day. Thank you. (laughs)